The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and welcome to a special Rebel Alliance podcast. I'm P. Nate and uh, I'm not in Garage Mahal nor am I joined by Mr. Poots. I'm actually in my car right now driving to an early morning meeting and this is really the only time that we've had to record all week. So we planned to record uh, a couple times over the last week and some family stuff came up on Pootie's end and some other stuff. So anyway, long story short, we didn't get to record the way that we wanted to and it falls to me to put something out there. I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit. I'm going to talk about something that's a little bit old news, but I want to talk about a couple of things first. First of all, I just want to uh, remind you that uh, you're listening to the Rebel Podcast. This is uh, on a Wednesday and literally recording on a Wednesday and then release on a Wednesday. But we have several other podcasts in our network, including Fathers of Faith for Covenant Kids, which is a podcast by the Van Brimmer family for your family, trying to teach some systematic theology and church history to your family and at your kids' level. So that's a great podcast that drops on Mondays. Awakening Reformation podcast with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer comes out on Tuesdays. That's just been awesome. And they had some hot takes this week, taking on the pulpit and pen and some of the Christian backlash to Chick-fil-A stuff. So I won't say any more and just recommend their podcast to you, but that drops on Tuesdays. And of course, we have the podcast for cultural reformation that comes out on Fridays out of the Ezra Institute. Speaking of our friends over at the Ezra Institute, we are so uh, thankful for them and for getting Grant and Erica and Scotty and Sandra Rollette's book, Behold Your King, published. So if you haven't heard about this, this is a great family Advent worship guide written by our friends here at Rebel Alliance Media, Grant and Erica Van Brimmer, alongside their friends Scotty and Sandra Rollette. So uh, our family used this last year, and now we have it in the official book form and ready to use it again this year. It's just a great family study guide. You know, there's a lot of Christmas Advent Christian stuff out there. But in terms of coming at it from a cultural, post-millennial, optimistic, you know, Lordship of Christ slant that kind of everything at the Rebel Podcast likes to take on things, there isn't a whole lot out there. So that's kind of the uniqueness of this particular study, and I would certainly recommend it to you. Of course, we just thank you for all your support. Uh, you can find all our content, including a great blog post uh, recommending the book Paradise Restored that dropped this week, written by Andrew Emery on the network. So anyway, lots of content. You can check it all out at rebelalliancemedia.com. And uh, of course, we just want to give a, a big thank you to all of our patrons who continue to support the ministry. That's patreon.com slash rebelalliance. And we just want to thank you and uh, thank you for bearing with us. We put out a lot of content as soon as the 
Patreon stuff got up and going and it's been a little bit more lax as schedules have been difficult, but we have some plans in the works. So uh, thank you so much for your support and for anybody who enjoys the show and has the capability of giving back. The content will always be free, but we certainly appreciate any support that you can give us. Okay, with that business out of the way, there's just a couple things. I got a pretty short commute here, so I'm not going to take up too much time. But there are basically two things that I really wanted to touch on today. The first of which is kind of a Rebel News item, if you will. So the Rebel News item is... Something that we we said we'd talk about, and I was trying to wait for Pootie, but it's going to be old news by the time we can get our schedules aligned to start dropping some content together. And that's the firing of Don Cherry. So I know we have a lot of listeners in America, and that name doesn't mean as much to you. But Don Cherry has been a broadcaster in Canada for a number of years. He's 82 years old. I think he's he was an NHL player, an NHL coach, and then he started what's called Coach's Corner on Hockey Night in Canada. And so during the intermissions, he would come on, analyze the game, talk about hockey, talk about all kinds of stuff but he's a really colorful guy he gets into politics and he gets into culture and all kinds of stuff and so anyway what recently happened was around remembrance day which is what we call veterans day and don cherry has always been very passionate about supporting the troops he spends a lot of his christmases overseas supporting the troops visiting the troops bringing gifts for the troops all that kind of stuff and so just leading up to remembrance day there were a whole lot of people who were not wearing poppies in toronto And so he, I'm getting ahead of myself. So what he said on the broadcast was he said that he kind of had a bit of a gear to grind and he talked about immigrants who have come to Canada, who appreciate Canada and its way of life and its culture and its community and this great country and all the freedom that we have. And then he speculated and said, by not wearing a poppy at Remembrance Day, on Veterans Day, or leading up to it, you're showing a lack of appreciation for this country that you've immigrated to and that you enjoy so much. Now, in Don Cherry's way, he didn't say it in the most tactful way. He said, you people who come here and like our milk and honey and enjoy our way of life are disrespecting. And so the you people was really the comment that kind of set everyone off. Well, Don Cherry got fired. And then, of course, culture quickly got divided, as it always does these days whenever anything happens. The truth is that Don Cherry is one of the last kind of mainstream conservative voices in Canada who hasn't got axed yet. We used to have a uh, guy on the local radio station here in London named Andy Oudman, who I really enjoyed. And he had kind of an afternoon talk radio show. And one of the things that he was very passionate about was abortion. And he was very pro-life and The radio station kept him on in the midst of a very changing landscape for a long time, but eventually backlash from people and he ended up getting fired because of his conservative views. And so there are very few conservative voices left in Canadian media. And it's a sad thing, especially in a country that pays lip service to seeing value and diversity. We now live in a media age where only one view is really tolerated, and that is the sort of progressive left view. So here's Don Cherry. He gets fired for saying you people and talking about immigrants. So let me start by saying I think he makes a valid point. I've actually, I'll confess something here that might get me in trouble with some of our listeners, certainly our Canadian listeners, but I've never been a huge Don Cherry fan. I don't actually love him that much. I actually found that he was abrasive for the wrong reasons sometimes. I love hockey. I really do. But his sort of old school, rough and tumble fighting and and all that kind of stuff is just not the hockey I really enjoy. And that might make me sound un-Canadian. But I just say that to say I'm not a huge Don Cherry fanboy. But I feel like I need to come to his defense a little bit here, and that is just defend his point of view. 
Maybe not the way he said it, but I'll defend his point of view. If his point was that immigrants who come to this country ought to adopt our country's way of paying respect to those who fought and died to preserve our way of life. Right. And I think that's what he's saying. He's essentially saying, hey, whether you're ignorant to this cultural thing or if you're choosing not to participate in it, I think you ought to participate in it if you love this country, because what we celebrate at Veterans Day is all of the things that you seem to enjoy about this country as an immigrant here. And so you ought to adopt this cultural practice of paying honor to our veterans. And I absolutely agree with that point. Again, you could go on about how he said it. Whatever. But if that's his point, I would agree with him. But where this story kind of, I would say, kind of takes a turn is as Christians thinking through the culture, as Christians trying to think biblically, we have to try to stay consistent. So we would advocate for freedom of speech. Now, Canada doesn't have freedom of speech in its Charter and Rights of and Freedoms quite to the same pedigree that the Americans do. It's a very clearly defined right in America. In Canada, we don't quite have that, but there's certainly a sentiment that freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression are all important things. And I think we have a little bit more strictness around what we consider hate speech, which is actually what I want to talk about. So when we talk about freedom of speech, we would say that people ought to be able to say whatever they want to say without fear of repercussions for what they say from the government. So somebody ought to be able to say anything they want to say, whether it's racial slurs, whether it's whatever. And, and I would be right there alongside all of the progressives saying that they shouldn't say that and that that would be horrible. But I think freedom of speech is important enough that we ought to allow people to say dangerous and controversial and offensive things in order to preserve free speech. You know, it's interesting that if you look at any sort of dystopian futuristic book, you think of like 1984, one of the first things that a government who wants to seize control and, and become tyrannical and control its people to a very overt way, they always start with speech, right? In 1984, it started with restricted speech and then it became compelled speech and it, they actually call it new speech. And it's a way of speaking that the government controls. And it's interesting that the whole Jordan Peterson phenomenon in Canada, one of the things that put him on kind of the cultural radar was his refusal to use preferred pronouns by some of his students. He's a university professor at, in Toronto, and he refused to use the preferred pronouns of students in his class who identified as a different gender. And he drew the line. He's not a Christian man, but he drew the line. He would certainly be sort of against the identity politics of the transgender agenda, but he's not a Christian man. He objected on the terms of compelled speech. He would say, it's one thing, and I think that our government is going too far in restricting speech, but it's quite another to actually compel speech. Tell me what I must say. And I think anybody listening to this, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, you have to see the danger in a government entity compelling and restricting speech. Freedom of speech is one of the kind of fundamental rights that makes people free. And I guess the alternative is 
to restrict and to control speech in such a way that we aren't free to say what we want and where we want. Now, one of the fundamental things that we look at as we look at cultures and governments and, and countries throughout the history to say whether or not they were a good society is the freedoms that it offered to its citizens. And taking away the freedom of expression and speech is, is kind of fundamentally a tyrannical thing. Here's the thing about freedom. I would say that there are many, many people who would all agree that saying things that are racially motivated, using you know sexist language, bigoted language, mean-spirited language, whatever the case may be, it's not good. But to restrict speech to tell people that they cannot say that is a power that I'm not willing to concede to the government, and I don't think anybody should be. The reality of politics is you never know who the next person is that's going to come down the line. And I know it it sort of becomes a a joke that everybody always kind of relates this to Nazi Germany. But the reality is, is that when the Nazi party rose to power, they were the progressive left. They were the progressive fascists who put on strict gun control laws, strict speech laws, and controlled their people in such a way that they led them down a path where we would all look at Nazi Germany and say, how did the everyday citizen allow that to happen? Well, it happened by conceding more and more power to a government that was moving in that direction. So whether or not you think that your government is moving in that direction or not, we should never concede enough power to the government to control the everyday lives of its citizens. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we should never look to the government to dictate the morality of its people. The government's job, according to the Bible, according to Romans 13, is to bear the sword, to punish evildoers. Now, punishing evildoers and bearing the sword has to do with biblical standards. And so the job of the government is to uphold the laws of God's word. So we can't look to that verse and say that the government then ought to dictate morality because the government dictating morality apart from the sword, apart from the word of God, is simply subjectivism. And we live in a culture now where the government more and more is trying to tell us what is good and what is bad. Racism is bad. Sexism is bad. Homophobia is bad. And they might be right about some of those things, but the problem is the government is always trying to get reelected, and which means that their morality will always be based on the majority of the people living in that country. And as we've seen throughout history, there have been plenty of countries, the laundry list is long of countries where the moral majority were abhorrent and horrible things stemming from the slave trade in America to Nazi Germany to the communism under Stalin. The list is long of countries who the moral majority of the people thought that something heinous was good. And I think we're living in a culture right now that calls abortion a good thing. And I think years down the road, all of society will look back and look at the heinousness of that particular point of view. So Anytime the government comes in and can dictate the morality of a people, we've allowed too much authority to the government. So, bringing this back around to free speech, somebody might say, well, racists shouldn't be allowed to say horribly offensive things to the people that they're racist against, to other cultures, to immigrants. And I would say, I agree that they shouldn't, 
say those things, but I disagree that they shouldn't be allowed to say those things. The thing is, is we have to love freedom enough to allow somebody the freedom to live in a way that is contrary to our particular point of view, right? The famous line of Winston Churchill, I think it was Winston Churchill, I do not agree with what you say, sir, but I will defend to my death your right to say it. And we've lost that in our culture completely. All opposition must be silenced, and we look to the government to do the silencing on our behalf. And so you have the right and the left both appealing to government authority to try to silence the positions and the lifestyles and the opinions of the opposing side. Hey, listen, we live in a free culture, and we ought to allow people. And you know what's interesting is that this freedom actually stems from a biblical worldview. It was in Israel where people were allowed to come in as non-Israelites and live within the borders of Israel. And Israel was actually commanded, commanded to treat them with respect and to bring them in and to show them hospitality. Now, you might point to some of the blasphemy laws, and that's absolutely true. They couldn't come into Israel and dishonor the God of Israel by erecting their own altars to their own gods. But that's a completely different topic than what they are allowed to say, what they're allowed to do, and the fact that we would treat them with hospitality and respect. It's actually a biblical worldview that allows for people of opposing worldviews to coexist and to continue to show them. It's Jesus who came along and said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And why is that? Because the Christian worldview is one that we believe is true, okay? In a world of, of subjective moral relativism, the person who screams the loudest, the person with the better argument, wins the debate. But in the Christian worldview, Christianity is objectively true, which means we are not threatened by, we don't feel insecure by the existence of other worldviews because we trust that the truth will win out. And this is a very post-millennial belief that allow others to worship and preach the gospel to them, show them the truth. It's in uh, John chapter 12, if anyone hears my words, this is a paraphrase, if anybody hears my words and does not believe them, I don't condemn him, right? He says, for I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world, or something like that in, in John chapter 12. But basically what Jesus' point is, is he has a larger mission here. If he comes and he speaks the truth to somebody and they reject him, he's just going to kind of move on to the next person. And I think that's the freedom that comes from knowing that your worldview is objectively right. And so because we believe that Christianity is objectively true, we share the gospel, we plead with those to accept Christ, to bow the knee to King Jesus, but then if they want to continue to live in their sin, we essentially let them continue to live in their sin and hope that the testimony of our lives as a life lived for truth contrasts a life lived in lies would bear witness to them. It might be one of the means that God uses to bring them to repentance. So anyway, I'm, I'm kind of getting off track here and, and it's kind of hard when you just have a road in front of you and you're just rambling into a microphone. But here's my point, bringing it all back to Don Cherry. Whether or not what Don Cherry said was racist, I think that we should allow him the opportunity to say it. We should allow people to be racist. We should allow people to be bigots. Just in the same way that we should allow people to be feminists, we should allow people to be Christians, we should allow people to be Muslims. We should allow people to share what they believe and to express freely their opinions. 
whatever happened to the days of sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. We live in this culture now where it's sticks and stones may break your bones, but words must be silenced by government coercion. Now, then this is where the story is going to take a turn. Don Cherry is completely free to say whatever he wants to say, but he's not free from the consequences of his speech. And this is where I think Christians might need to get chastised a little bit as well. I think it was a year and a half ago or so that Colin Kaepernick decided to take a knee during the national anthem on the football field. And Christians, many conservatives, got up in arms about him doing that and applauded NFL teams for kind of blackballing him. And what we said at that time was he's free to express himself, but he's not free from the consequences of his free expression. And so Christians, we need to be consistent here. Don Cherry was absolutely free to say what he said, but he's also free to accept the consequences of it. And he chose not to apologize and keep his job, and I'm sure he had reasons for that. We don't know the backstory. We don't know how many times he was warned. We also don't know how many times his point of view was silenced or challenged, and he felt like the only Christian conservative voice in Canada, which he was. So we don't know the whole story there, but he chose not to apologize for his words. He chose to stand behind them, and therefore, he got fired. So we might not agree with them firing him because we agreed with his point of view, but we ought to respect and stay consistent with people are free to express their opinions, but then the places that they work are also free to fire them if they think that those opinions are going to affect their bottom line. So we have to stay consistent on both sides. I think freedom of speech is a fundamental right. And I would challenge any of my liberal friends who are listening to this episode, because you know I'm going to tag you in it. You know I'm going to share it with you. So if you've made it this far, thank you. I'd love to hear your opinions on whether or not you feel like there's any danger in the government being able to dictate what is and is not hate speech, what is and is not acceptable speech. Because you have to admit that we live in a world of subjective moralism where everybody's morality and ethics are subjective to themselves. That's the virtue that we hold high as, or or I should say that you hold high as, as a progressive. And in that world, there's no objective standard. The only standard is a moral majority. And, you know, if you want me to start a list of all the countries where the moral majority got it horribly, horribly wrong to the death of thousands and millions, I'll provide that list for you. But I think a social scientist, I think, would be able to map very, very well, I think, this is just a hunch, the rise and the constriction on constrained speech in North America, right? We all know. We know that certain lectures in the in universities across Canada and the States are getting booed out and, and shouted down and protested against. People don't want to hear diversity of opinions. People don't want to hear opposing views. They're calling anything they disagree with hate speech. We know that's what the world that we live in. Whether you, you know, agree with the points of view fundamentally or not, we have to all agree that this is happening. And I bet you could look at the rise of constriction on speech to this rise of sort of entitlement and easily offended and just the widening gap between people with ideological views on different ends of the spectrum. I think that our culture right now is suffering the consequences of restricted speech because when you grow up in an environment with safe spaces and feeling as though 
you have a right not to be offended, then suddenly anytime you get offended because you haven't heard things, you haven't had to develop thick skin, quite honestly, I'll say it bluntly, you haven't had to develop the character required to face opposition then your world comes crashing down. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people graduating university with such fragile feelings and such fragile points of view that they can't tolerate offense of any kind. And that's just not the world that we live in. And so we're not even raising our young people. This is not doing our culture any good. Okay, I want to flip because I'm almost at my destination now. The other thing that I wanted to talk about today, we talk about this quite a bit, and this is a value that we have at Rebel Alliance, and this is something, so Rebel Alliance exists in order to equip you as a Christian to engage culture with a biblical worldview. And one of the things that goes on in our culture is we watch movies, and we intake media, and we listen to songs, and all kinds of stuff. And so I watched uh, two movies over the last couple of weeks that I kind of wanted to play our game Spot the Lie. So Spot the Lie is a game that we kind of encourage families to play, encourage couples to play, even you as a discerning Christian taking in secular media and secular entertainment. I would encourage you to develop the skills required in order to spot the lie. And all that means is you're watching something or you're listening to an album or you're intaking a, a series or, or watching a play or whatever the case is that was written by very likely a non-Christian or uh, somebody with a non-biblical worldview. And so their presuppositions, the things that they're coming to the world with are different. And so there are going to be subtle lies in there. And of course, you know, if you're watching a movie that's promoting promiscuity, if you're watching a movie that promotes same-sex relationships or something like that, it's easy for us to spot those kinds of things. It's not even necessarily a lie. That's just, well, it is a lie, but it's uh, that's not, spotting it isn't necessarily anything we should pat ourselves on the back for. But I think we need to get good at spotting the subtle lies in a lot of the culture that we intake, especially as parents who are trying to disciple our kids. So the first one is actually a kid's movie. So we watched the new Aladdin, the new Aladdin movie that came out not that long ago, the live action one where Will Smith is the genie. And so I watched this and we watched it with our oldest She's seen Aladdin, the cartoon. She didn't really like the live action one quite as much. I don't think it was quite as kid-friendly, and she's still quite young. But the music was good. I actually thought Will Smith did a good job. I was pleasantly surprised by the movie as a whole. But there was something in it that I thought was very, very interesting. If you think about sort of the fundamental premise or the big idea of the movie Aladdin... One of the fundamental messages I think that the movie is trying to portray is that lust for power will be your undoing. If you want to use a proverb, if you want to use a biblical scripture, it would be that pride comes before destruction, a haughty look before a fall. And so the idea here is that anyone who lusts after power, who seeks after power, eventually destroys themselves. That's kind of one of the fundamental premise or, or big idea or messages of the movie Aladdin. So if you think about the original, you think that, you know, you have Jafar who's very clearly seeking power. You have Aladdin who's called the diamond in the rough, whose character is commended because he seems to be content with his allotment in life. 
though he has this sort of, you know, I wish I wasn't on the street, I wish I didn't have to steal for food, all that kind of stuff. He doesn't seem to have the same sort of lust for power that Jafar has. And, and so in a lot of ways, their characters are contrasted as the two who hold the power of the lamp at different times during the movie. And so you have Aladdin who, and you see in the original, and you see it in the uh, remake as well, after he makes his second wish and he had promised that he was going to use his third wish to set the genie free, he uses his second wish to save himself. And then the genie kind of says, hey, your line now is, I, you know, I wish to free the genie. And Aladdin starts to get this sort of, well, I can't let you go because I need you because without you, I'm just Aladdin and I need the power that you give me. In fact, you even see this a couple times when he starts referring to himself as a prince, like, you know, I really could be a prince. I really could be the sultan. And you see him start to kind of believe his own hype, so to speak. And you see that as he struggles with that, like, lust for power, there's even that moment once Jafar eventually gets the lamp and sends Aladdin way off. He's apologizing to Abu and Carpet, and he's essentially saying, like, I got too carried away. I'm sorry, Right. And so you see that struggle within Aladdin throughout the movie, and eventually he comes to the recognition that what he's after, what he's seeking is, is love, is happiness, or whatever, but it's not power. Jafar, on the other hand, we see, and the remake even makes this more clear, because in the original, Jafar is obviously lusting after the power that the Sultan has, that the lamp will give him. He's kind of obsessed with getting the lamp, and once he gets the lamp, he uses it to become Sultan, and then to become the world's most powerful sorcerer, and then, of course, to become a genie, because each title that he gets, each rank that he gets, isn't enough for his lust for power. Okay, so actually, and I'll just say one more thing about that. The remake actually makes that more clear because he uses a line that I thought was interesting. He says, it's not worth being second best. Second best in the room isn't enough, or I can't remember the phrase, but it's something like that. And that comes back around on him when Aladdin kind of basically tricks him into wishing to be a genie because he says, you're still the second most powerful here. Genie's more powerful than you. And so you see that that lust for power is, is what is Jafar's downfall. Aladdin can't beat him on his own. He has to kind of trick him and use that lust for power against him. Okay, so all that, that's kind of a big idea of Aladdin. So there's this subtle lie in the remake that I think is worth exploring. And I think if you're going to show this to your kids, if you're going to watch this with people, it's, it's worth having a conversation about. And certainly if you're going to watch it with any non-Christian friends, maybe for nostalgia's sake, I think this, is, this could turn into a really good conversation. So they kind of ruin the entire big idea or the entire message of the movie by adding this sort of feminist bent to Jasmine. Okay, in the original, there's no discussion about her being the sultan. In the new one, they add this element to the story where she wants to be the sultan, even though she's a woman. And it's said, you know, well, you can't be because you're a woman. And then she ends up proving to her, spoiler alert, you know, she ends up proving to everyone that she can rule even though she's a woman, right? And there's even a song that's added to the new remake, which is actually a very good song. They did a good job because the music in Aladdin is, is phenomenal. And, and this song actually stands up to the rest of it. But anyway, there's this thing where, and even her whole song, it's talking, I think the, the premise of the song is, I won't be silenced. And she shows that she really desires to be Sultan and she desires to rule her people. Now, 
they make it benevolent, right? She cares about her people and she wants what's best for them. That's a good thing. But there's a hint to it in that song. There's a hint to it in some of the dialogue where it's this sort of this very feminist agenda that just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I can't rule. In fact, I'll be a better ruler than all of you. You know, give me my shot. Well, what does that sound like? That sounds like a desire for power. That sounds like a lust for power. And it's subtle and it's wrapped in a feminist shell, but it's essentially the same character quality that Jafar gets punished for and she ends up getting rewarded for. So there's this very subtle lie that if a woman is seeking power, it's okay, but if a man is seeking power, it's not okay. And of course, you know, I would have my own opinions about feminism in general and what the Bible has to say about the differing roles of men and women. But I think that that subtle lie is certainly something that's worth exploring. This subtle lie that if a woman is seeking power, it won't destroy her, but if a man does, it's evil and it will destroy him. So there's just a lie I saw in that Aladdin movie that I thought was worth noting. And hopefully, you know, it's not just to help you with these particular movies, but hopefully you're helping to see what sort of things I look for when I'm watching a movie. The other thing that I wanted to mention was this. I'm, I'm, it's embarrassing that I'm even telling you about this movie. But we watched this movie. I think it's called The Night for Christmas. And night is with a K. So a night, a knight, a night for Christmas. And it's on Netflix. It's one of the cheesy Christmas movies with horrible acting. That's just a super feel-good movie. And the movie is basically about a knight who's living in like the 16th century who gets transported by a witch or something into modern day. And then he falls in love with a woman in modern day. It's pretty cheesy and horrible, but my wife loves Christmas movies and she loves the cheesy ones. And you know what? I don't hate them either because it gets you into the Christmas mood. It's a horrible movie Um, just in terms of bad acting, bad writing, so predictable. But hey, this is the time of year for cheesy Christmas movies. So we watch this movie. And so what's interesting is that everybody in modern day, obviously, thinks that he's crazy because he thinks he's a knight. He's calling cars metal steeds and all kinds of silly stuff. But everybody thinks he's crazy. And the woman that he ends up falling in love with, the woman who he's slowly falling for and she's falling for him, says at several junctures throughout the movie to different people, who are we to tell him what he is or what he isn't? And that line stuck out to me. Now, in the premise of this movie, he really was a knight who had time traveled. And as ludicrous as it sounds, she was right in saying, who are we to say otherwise? But in a culture that is now saying that a boy can become a girl and a girl can become a boy and you can identify as anything that you want to, there is a legit community out in BC, Canada of people who identify as wolves and they go out into the woods at night and howl and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, things are getting crazy, right? We know we live in this crazy culture. The prophet Isaiah's words are coming true. Woe to those who would call sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. Woe to those who would call darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who would call up for down and down for up. We live in that culture now. So it just stood out to me because the subtle, I guess, message of this movie is who are we to tell someone what they are or what they aren't? And now it kind of breaks its rules here because in the movie, the guy really does time travel and obviously time travel isn't real. 
but neither is a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body. And so the subtle thing there is that that's planting a subtle seed in your subconscious or the subconscious of whoever's watching it. Certainly if you watch any of these kinds of movies with your kids, be on the lookout for these sorts of things. Because especially if they go to public school, they're going to be in classes where teachers say things like that. Who are you to tell somebody who they are or who they aren't? Well, I can tell you right now, a human is not a wolf. A boy is not a girl, right? Nobody has two spirits. You could go through the whole LGBTQ plus, two plus, whatever. You could go through it all. And two dudes is not marriage. Two women is not marriage. Two dudes and one woman, two women, one dude, not marriage. The Bible calls marriage the union between one man, one woman for life. So we can't just make things up and we can't just allow people to be whoever they say they are and treat them like they are. In fact, it's only in modern day where things like gender dysphoria and people's delusions are being remedied by buying into the delusion. You see at psychiatric institutes all the time, people who think they are somebody that they are not, the psychiatrists, in order to help them, are breaking down that delusion. They don't let that person continue to walk around thinking that they're Napoleon Bonaparte. That's what healing looks like. And yet we live in a culture that would say, go along with it. Let that boy be a girl. Let that girl be a boy. Let that person believe they have two spirits. Let that guy identify as a wolf. And these are the kinds of movies that are coming out now built on those kinds of principles. And so even in the movie, she's not wrong in saying it. But if I was watching that movie with my family, I would pause it at that moment. And I would say, this movie is make-believe, but what might be dangerous about what she's saying? And I would take that as an opportunity to talk about all these things. So... While you're watching Christmas movies, watch all the cheesy ones with your wives, but be ready to push the pause button, spot the lie, and more and more try to train yourself to spot the lies in the culture that you're intaking around you. I'm at my destination. I've been sitting in the parking lot for the last three minutes while I wrapped up, so I gotta go. Hopefully you enjoyed this road trip with P-Nate. Hopefully we can get back on the same page and you'll have Pootie and P-Nate and Garage Mahal coming at you next week. Take care and thanks for listening.